Happy 4th of July, everybody. Happy 4th of July, everybody. See, I love 4th of July for a few reasons. I like to blow stuff up. I'm honest. I like celebrating that our country has another birthday. I'm pretty into our country. I like it a lot. Uh, But also on July 7th, that's my wedding anniversary. Today is our 13th anniversary. How about that? Yeah, our marriage is a teenager. 13. Lauren, I love you. Happy anniversary. I feel like I should have the ushers bring you flowers. Ushers, please bring my wife some flowers and a card. Our anniversary, we're usually actually out of town, and it actually fell on a Sunday, and I thought, I'm going to use that. (laughs) I don't know about you, but I get really patriotic around 4th of July, like I love my country all year long, but around 4th of July, I start to look back over some books I've read and uh, retell the story of the people who made tremendous sacrifices so that we can enjoy the freedom that we have. Uh, This last week was no different. I'm reminded that it was on July 4th of 1776 that the Continental Congress adopted the Declaration of Independence. And as that was being adopted, over 100 ships, British ships, had already poured into the New York Harbor preparing to oppose the Declaration. Over the next month, in 1776, 400 ships would arrive, filled with soldiers, artillery, and supplies everything necessary to destroy a newborn nation. After a month of planning on Thursday, August 22nd, 15,000 British troops were ashore by noon. The war had begun. It had begun earlier, but here in New York it had begun. The Americans didn't get off to a great start. They found themselves on the run. And then on December 26th of that same year, the Americans won the Battle of Trenton and captured 900 prisoners. It, it was the motivation, it was, it was the morale that they needed at the end of this hard year. On December 31st, General George Washington gathered the army around him at Trenton, and most of Washington's veterans had enlist, enlisted for a term, and that term was about to expire. They would be free to go home to peace by morning, and the revolution would have little hope of surviving the attack if the most seasoned troops went home. So Washington had to talk these men into staying. He was talking to farmers. He was talking to shoemakers, to saddlers, to carpenters, to wheelwrights, to blacksmiths, to tailors. He was talking to very few trained soldiers. Some of these men had shoes, others didn't. And it was in the dead of winter. One of the soldiers would remember his regiment being called into formation. And His Excellency General Washington astride a big horse, addressing them in the most affectionate manner. The great majority of the men were New Englanders who had served longer than any and who had no illusions about what was being asked of them. Those willing to stay were asked to step forward. And drums rolled, and minutes passed, and no one moved. Then Washington wheeled his horse about and spoke again. He said, my brave fellows, you have done all I asked you to do and more than could be reasonably expected. But your country is at stake, your wives and your houses, all that you hold dear. You have worn yourselves out with fatigues and hardships, but we know not how to spare you. If you will consent to stay even one month longer, you will render that service to the cause of liberty and to your country 
which you can probably never do under any other circumstance. Again, the drums sounded. And at this time, one by one, men began stepping forward, staying to fight. God Almighty, wrote Nathaniel Green, inclined their hearts to listen to the proposal, and they engaged anew. What an amazing leader. What an inspiring moment. What a courageous sacrifice. And long before General Washington was even born, there was another great leader named Nehemiah who asked common people to make a tremendous sacrifice. We're learning from Nehemiah what it means What it means when God goes to work rebuilding in our lives what sin has destroyed. And it's good news to know that your God can rebuild what your sin has destroyed. Amen? Nehemiah was one of the higher ranking officials in the empire, the Persian empire, that stretched from India to Greece and from Egypt up all the way to Turkey. And so he was a powerful man, and yet he devoted himself. He sacrificed to go back to Jerusalem because the walls had been torn down. And here, as God goes to work rebuilding the wall around Jerusalem, that's symbolic of how he's going to work rebuilding his people. And the wall got halfway done last week. But there were men all around Jerusalem that were hostile And today they decide to come. They want to attack the workers. And Nehemiah has to rally his troops and tell them to stay at their post, armed and ready, just as Washington had to tell his troops to stay on. We're going to learn from Nehemiah again today. We're going to learn, as God goes to work rebuilding us, we're going to learn that God will allow attack to come. How do we withstand opposition? Nehemiah is going to show us today. The title of the sermon is Survive Attack. And God's going to teach one of us each one of us, how to do that through Nehemiah. So let's pray, and then we'll go into God's Word together. Father in heaven, we lift this message up to you as we know that this is your book, these are your words, these are your people. And I know that you have a message each week for us to hear from your heart. And this week, you're talking to us about what we do when we feel like others are trying to push over what you are building up. Others are trying to throw us down as you're trying to lift us up. Others are trying to knock us over as you're making us right. Lord, teach us how to respond to this opposition through Nehemiah's example. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Nehemiah, chapter 4. It's in the middle of your Bible, just a little to the left. Uh, But for those of you who missed the first two sermons on Nehemiah, a few things we've been learning. Let me give you your historical bearings, your... um, God's people were exiled. They were exiled in 722 B.C. by the Assyrians, and then again in 586 B.C. by the Babylonians. They were thrown out of the Promised Land because they broke the covenant with God. We learn from that that sin distances us from God, that sin destroys what God has built up. But we're also learning that God will rebuild and replant us if we repent. So the exile teaches us, but we also learn that Nehemiah got to work on the wall, and they were halfway there. And now opposition is coming. So check out chapter 4, verse 10. Verse 10. It says this, In Judah it was said, The strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There's too much rubble. By ourselves we will not be able to rebuild the wall. 
Imagine if you volunteered on construction duty and you're not really into construction and you're picking up these giant blocks and and trying to build this huge wall around the city and it's like a mile and a half long and there you are and your fingers are bleeding and your arms are hurting. I mean, it's like a Fred Flintstone quarry, only you're doing all the work by hand and they're worn out. And then in verse 11, it says, Our enemies said, They will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. Jerusalem was surrounded by powerful men with armies who did not want a new power base in Jerusalem. They wanted to come and stop the work to consolidate their power. Verse 12, at that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, you must return to us, you must return to us. Maybe they knew about the threat, maybe maybe they just wanted to stop the work or they were afraid, but they said, you must return to us. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, can you picture it? Are you there with me? Are you there in Jerusalem? The wall half done. Houses were still burned to the ground. God's getting the world ready for Christ to come. And now there's a threat of sudden surprise attack. And you've armed these ordinary people. This is just like General Washington. And you're giving them a speech. What does he say? He says this. Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Wow. We learn a lot from this. Here's what I want you to write down first. Attack is coming, so be on guard. The Lord promises you That everything that's good in your life, everything that he's building up in your life, will be attacked. We live in a world hostile to the things of God. The the spiritual realm first rebelled and went at war with God, and then the earthly realm followed. There is a war against our God, and guess what? You're caught up in it. Which means everything God's building in your life will be attacked. So attack is coming. Be on your guard. And don't be surprised when God's rebuilding you and others try and push it all down. It's coming. Um, I saw a great picture this last week of a bunch of soldiers getting ready to march somewhere. They look pretty serious. Well, most of them. Check out this picture. (laughs) Almost all the soldiers are battle ready. And then there's just this one guy. I was out late last night. Man, what? (laughs) Hey, don't be that guy. Don't be that soldier. Lower your guard. Don't do it. Put your sword down. Don't do it. Take off your armor. No. God says attack is coming. And what he's doing in your heart will be opposed. Um, You have to be alert. You have to be wide awake. You have to be ready. I saw another picture of a guy. Uh, I don't know what the story is or who this guy is, but here's just a look into his cabinets in his kitchen. Check this out. His cabinets are full of energy drinks. That's all Red Bull. All Red Bull. Now, I don't know. If you met that man, I bet he would probably be talking really fast. He'd be twitching and he'd be really energetic and just try and fool him because he's alert and wide awake. You and I also have to be that alert, that awake, and that prepared for when the attack comes. Attack is coming, so be on guard. Check out John 15, verses 18 to 19. We'll put that on the screen. Jesus himself said this, If the world hates you, Know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. 
But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Why do these people not understand my faith? Why do these people not appreciate what I believe? Why is this person trying to go against me growing it? Well, it's, it's because they hate you. Because they hate God. Because they hated Christ. 2 Timothy 2.3, we'll put it up on the screen. Hey, say this with me. Here we go. Read this. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. The Bible calls you a soldier. The Bible says you will suffer. You need to stand at attention. You need to be alert and ready because the attack is coming. Okay, so now we understand that as God's rebuilding, attack will come. He'll let that happen. But it'll come in various forms. So let's look at how Nehemiah responds to various forms of attack. Number two, jot this down. Be ready for the direct attack. Be ready for the direct attack. Here in Nehemiah's life, it was a covert military operation This army, these people just wanted to show up and rush in and kill as many people as possible and leave and just scare the workers off. All right, this is what you would call the cowardly way, right? We don't don't really want anyone to, like, get hurt. Like, we don't want a fair fight. We're just going to run in there and kill a bunch of them and run out. This would be the direct attack. Uh, We learn here that the Lord will allow people to directly attack you. Um, I'm not saying physically, but I'm saying that there will be people who will directly to your face say, you're one of those bigots. Oh, you believe that old-fashioned nonsense? Oh, you're filled with that hateful morality? Oh, you're that narrow-minded that you think that's the only way? There will be a direct attack on what you believe. It could come from a teacher. It could come from a friend. It could come from a boyfriend. It could come from a parent. But there is a direct push to knock you off of the faith you're standing on. And I know many of you in this room could name a name of somebody who they just come at you directly trying to push you off what you believe. How are we to respond? Nehemiah's speech here is for us. He says first, do not be afraid of them. Write that down. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. No, no, but the teacher has the grade book and, and gives me, don't be afraid. No, but it's, it's my mom, and she gets mad. Don't be afraid. No, but it's, it's my fiancé, and if, boy, if we don't share that. No, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Do you know that fear is a good thing, right? Parents, you know fear is a good thing. You want your kids to be afraid of the street. Am I right? I, I want my daughters to be afraid of boys. Like, fear is a good thing. <laughs> but fear is meant to serve God's purposes. Your fear is appointed by God to teach you faith. But when you appoint fear as your God, fear kills your faith. There's a difference between God using fear in your heart to teach you faith and protect you, and you appointing fear in your heart to be your God. And if fear is commanding your decisions, fear has become your God. And fear then will kill your faith in your old God. Fear is not meant to rule your heart. Don't be afraid. I remember when I was a kid, there were several movies that were uh, awesome movies that had like really frightening moments. And, and maybe one of the more frightening moments was in The Empire Strikes Back when, when like Luke finds out that Darth Vader is his dad and then and he gets his hand cut off and he's hanging from that little post, right? And he's looking down into this abyss. 
uh, in, in, I think it was the Cloud City, and then Vader's like waiting there, and then Luke, I mean, he lets go, and he just falls into this, and it's so frightening, right? But then I saw a behind-the-scenes photo of that being filmed, so check it out. This is a picture of behind-the-scenes Empire Strikes Back being filmed, and there's Vader, and there's Luke, and there's a pile of mattresses on the ground, along with some stagehand who's just down there watching this whole thing take place. <laughs> see, now I see that danger differently now. Uh, because I've seen behind the scenes. Now, when I watch it, it's not all that scary because I know that he's just dropping onto 100 mattresses and he's landing safely. Not so scary anymore. Uh, how about another one? I think one of the more frightening villains from my childhood um, was the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man from the Ghostbusters movie. <laughs> I had nightmares about that. I didn't eat a s'more for a year, but check this out. Here's the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man behind the scenes <laughs> being filmed. Turns out he's just a guy in a suit walking down a teeny little road. (laughs) Not so scary anymore when you go behind the scenes, see how it was really playing out. Um, I think it's funny, when God looks down on your fears, he's not afraid. There's no danger in the end if he promises that good will come from everything he allows in your life. And maybe your fears are lying to you about your God. Maybe they are. Attack is coming. You have to be on your guard and you have to be ready for the direct attack. And how will you react? Well, first, don't be afraid. Nehemiah goes on to say this. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Write that down. Don't be afraid and write this down. Remember the Lord is great and awesome. In other words, don't forget how amazing the Lord has proved himself already. Don't lose sight of that. Um, Size up your fears in proportion to your God. Not in proportion to your strength. Not in proportion to your wisdom. Not in proportion to your finances. Size up your fears in proportion to your God and your fears will be as big as a flea. They will shrink. But you have to make the choice because listen... Either fear will make you forget the size of your God or God will make you forget the size of your fear. But one of those two things is going to happen. And the Christian was not meant to have the, the, the raging wind of fear in your sails. Fear. I've talked to so many Christians who are facing a crisis. Maybe it's a financial crisis. And they're so crippled with fear because it won't work on paper. Losing sleep. What are we going to... Fear has taken over. And faith should be taking root. Maybe God doesn't want it to work on paper at this point. Maybe he wants to teach you to trust him. Maybe he wants you to teach you to know the love of your church family. But crippling fear is not what God wants. Remember the Lord is great. Remember the Lord is awesome. And whatever it is, this is a very small thing to him. And then third, stay at your post. Don't be afraid. Remember the Lord is great and awesome. And then he says... Fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. In other words, stay at your post. Everything that's good and precious in your life that God's building will come under attack. And hey, listen, listen, husbands, you are going to have to defend your marriage. You're going to have to defend your children. Listen, we're going to have to defend this church against disunity and against heresy and against foolishness. It's going to come under attack. 
It's going to happen. But you have to stay at your post. It goes on to say in verse 15, when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. Wow. God thwarted their initial plan. They remained on guard, reading on. It says, from that day on, half my servants worked on construction and half held spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. So can you imagine this? There's, there's the guys on the wall, and then there's the guys behind with the supplies, armed for battle, ready. It says, spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah, verse 17, who were building on the wall. Those who carried the burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. So they got like hammer in the one hand and sword at their side. And then the guy by the supplies is like working with the one hand and holding his spear with the other. This is a marvelous spiritual picture of how every Christian needs to have the sword in one hand where you are in a posture to defend what God's building in your life. But you've got the hammer in the other. You're working for Christ. God's using you to rebuild other people. But you're on guard because you know that there's going to come the attack to knock it all over. Wow. Hammer in one hand, sword in the other. What an amazing portrayal of readiness. Because these are soldiers. It goes on to say in verse 19, And I said to the nobles and the officials and the rest of the people, The work is great and widely spread, and we are separated on the wall, far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. So we labored at the work, and half of them held the spears from the, get this, from the break of dawn until the stars came out. Wow. Sun up until the stars came out. They were working. They were armed. They were ready. I also said to the people at that time, let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem, that they may be a guard for us by night and may labor by day. So neither I nor my brothers nor my servants nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes. Each kept his weapon at his right hand. This was high alert. This was a wartime mentality. Check out, this is a picture of soldiers right now. And when you think soldiers, when you think suffering, when you think ready when you think, wow. And that's what we're supposed to look like. Uh, This next picture is a picture of a soldier. Um, He's not off duty. He's not looking for leisure. He's not expecting smooth sailing. And that image is supposed to describe your spiritual posture. Um, And not only are you on the defense, but you're working hard. I'll never forget at my last church when we were at the tail end of a building program. Um, It was a two-year-long process, and we went through so many trials to get this building up, and it was finally up. And on Sunday, we sent out a letter to the congregation saying, next Sunday we're going to have our first service in the new building. We had been meeting in a school. And we did that by faith because we didn't even have our occupancy permit yet. Uh, The the state was still withholding that last water meter because we had a few last things we had to do. And the big holdup was the county did not like where we put our split rail fence to protect the environment. So they wanted us to move the fence before they would give us the permit. It was getting pretty ridiculous. So we, we sent word out and we told the church, hey, listen, they're going to come Friday for our final inspection. 
but the fence is in the wrong spot. We got to get out there. And all these guys showed up. It was like a late Thursday night. I mean, the sun had gone down. It was dark. The moon was out. And somebody showed up with like a post hole digger that they had rented. And other guys showed up with the wood. And other guys showed up with the pizza. And, and we just started working. It's like we had moonlight. And there were all these guys putting this fence up. And then the next day, the county came out. They inspected the whole thing. And they said, you're good to go. And we had church that Sunday. But listen, I'm never going to forget those guys who showed up late at night and worked like crazy until well into the night to get the fence ready so that we could have church that weekend. Wow. And you and I, we're called to the work. We're called to find our spot on the wall, to be on a defensive posture, but also to get to work, doing the Lord's work. So, hey, attack is coming. Be on guard. Be ready for the direct attack. Don't let that pull you off the wall. And here's number three. Be ready for the indirect attack. Be ready for the indirect attack. Skip over to chapter 6, verse 1. Chapter 6, verse 1 says this, Now when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set up the doors and the gates. So the wall's getting up there, but the gates are still wide open. Sanballat and Geshem sent to me saying, Come, let us meet together at Hakifurim in the plain of Ono, but they intended to do me harm. Okay, so this is a, hey, let's get together. We'll have a political discussion. We'll put together some principles and some understandings and let's meet together. And Nehemiah's like, yeah, right. I know exactly what's happening if I go to that meeting. This was like 26 miles northwest of Jerusalem. And I, when I first read that, I thought it was really funny that the name of the place they invited him to was the plain of, oh, no. <laughs> I mean, it's like, hey, meet me at the You're Dead Saloon for coffee. Like, <laughs> pick a better place. <laughs> oh, no. And Nehemiah was like, I am not going. That is an indirect attack, and I know exactly what's going to happen if I go there. Reading on, it says, And I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? What focus, what dedication, what wisdom. And then they sent to me four times in this way. Letter number two, calm down. We really need to negotiate. This is getting bad. Letter number three, I don't think you understand how serious this is. Letter number four, you must meet. Four letters. Nehemiah still wouldn't go. Here's the sub point here. Jot this down. Be ready for the indirect attack. Avoid needless, dangerous interactions. Avoid needless, dangerous interactions. This could be compromising. This could be dangerous as a trap. This is not going anywhere good. And Nehemiah says, I'm not even going. Now, I love Nehemiah for many reasons. But listen, he was a master of relationships. He knew how to relate to his superiors, meaning the king of a vast empire. He knew how to relate to his subordinates, getting them to give their very best. He knew how to relate to his peers, meaning the leaders in Jerusalem, summoning them to choose to lead like, like him. But listen, here's what we see now. He knew who to avoid. He knew who to stay away from. He knew who shouldn't get him. 
Are there people in your life who you should be avoiding right now? See, this is an indirect attack. Maybe you don't have somebody who's going to go toe-to-toe with you and say, oh, your faith is stupid. What do you believe? But you'll have somebody who subtly starts drawing you away. And your interactions with them and where they want to go and what they want to do is an indirect way to pull you away from what God's building in your life. Do you know who to avoid? Do you know the people in your life who will indirectly tear down what God is building up? Nehemiah did. Who is it that's pulling you away from God's work? This is the person pulling you away from church, pulling you away from small group, pulling you away from your Christian friends, pulling you away from your parents. Uh, Who is it? Hey, don't even go. Don't even go. I know there are people here this morning who have acquaintances in your life and you've been told by loved ones they're no good. Where they're calling you is a very big, oh no. Why are you texting them still? Why are you calling them? Why are you going with them back to the bar, back to the club, What are you doing with that person? People are trying to warn you. They've been trying to warn you. These are needless, dangerous interactions. Could be a business partner. Could be a love interest. Could be a friend. They're bad news and they're pushing over what God is stacking up. and You have no business being around them. Nehemiah knew it. He was ready for the indirect attack. I've told men, stop texting her. She's not your wife. I've told women, stop talking to him. He's not your husband. I've told friend, what are you doing with him, teenagers? Look at his track record and where that has taken him, and this is your future, and maybe you need to hear that. The point is, if you keep throwing yourself back to the lions, you're going to be devoured indirectly. Be ready for the indirect attack. Avoid needless, dangerous interactions. And here's the next one. Ignore false accusations. Ignore false accusations. When they couldn't get him to come to the meeting, in verse 5, they, they alter this strategy a little bit. It says, in the same way, Sanballat, for the fifth time, sent his, here's the fifth love letter, sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. And it was written, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you are building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. You have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. And now the king will hear of these reports. So now come and let us take counsel together. Then I sent to him, saying, No such thing as you say have been done, for you are inventing them out of your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, O oh God, strengthen my hands. False accusations. Uh, an open letter floating around the ancient world, usually they're sealed. So when a guy shows up with letter number five and it's wide open and it's been to how many stops along the way and how many people have seen it and all these false accusations of, oh, look at what Nehemiah is doing and these people reading it. It'd be the equivalent of someone today going on your Facebook and and pounding out some false accusation on your wall. Oh, I heard you were drunk running through the streets of Chicago last night. Hope you get that under control. And you're like, what? What? 
for everyone to see. They just want to hurt your reputation. Or somebody, maybe, they've, maybe this has happened to you, where somebody sends you an email, then they copy a bunch of people on it. Because they want to hear, I know you said this to this person and you did this to that person and you've got a lot of nerve and they copy all these people on it because they want it to be publicly noted. Um, it's character assassination. Ignore false accusations. It's a distraction. They just want to get you riled up and get you into that and get you fighting back and spending all your time trying to defend your reputation and sat, sat the record straight and just ignore it. He said what was true, but he didn't get into it. Be ready for the indirect attack. These are the rumors. This is the gossip. This is the backbiting and the backstabbing. And it's going to come. It's going to come. It's an indirect attack. But avoid needless, dangerous interactions and ignore false accusations. Four letters, intensifying, tempting, and then a fifth letter that was open. And this is just really heating up. And wow, Nehemiah's whole knit together. Here's the fourth point. Write this down. Be ready for the disguised attack. Be ready for the disguised attack. This one comes in verse 10. Nehemiah noticed, pray, Lord, strengthen my hands. He's relying on the Lord. He's got so much power and so much influence, and yet he's so dependent on the Lord. Verse 10, now when I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deleah, the son of Mehetabel, who was confined to his home. We don't know why he was confined to his home, but He said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple for they're coming to kill you. They're coming to kill you by night. So this is like a guy who had access, probably a priest. He had access to the temple. And and he's like, hey, hey, they're coming tonight. They're going to kill you tonight. We got to get out of here. And he's like, I got these keys. We can get into the temple. I'll lock it up real tight and you can, then you'll live through the night. But they're coming couple things wrong with this plan. Thing number one, Nehemiah is not allowed in certain parts of the temple. That would infuriate God. Only priests can get in there. What else is wrong? Well, let's read on. It says verse 11, but Nehemiah said, should such a man as I run away and what man such as I could go into the temple and live? He knew that he'd be in trouble. Not only would he be in trouble with the priests. It would divide him among the priesthood. It would get him in big trouble. He'd also be painted as a coward. I will not go in, verse 12. And I understood and saw that God had not sent him, but he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. For this purpose, he was hired that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. (laughs) Okay, residents of Illinois, you understand this, but if we have any visitors here, uh, this is called a bribe. And here's the way the bribe works. Uh, the bribe is illegal money to do an illegal thing, right? So, so this guy got illegally paid to go and try and lure Nehemiah into this. They're coming tonight. I got the secret information. They're going to kill you in your sleep. And he's got like the money in his back pocket that they paid him to do this. And then once he got him into the temple, he could do two things, right? He could either just keep him there and then the next day be like, oh, man, what a chicken he is. He hid all night in there. Yeah, I saw him. He was like crying like a baby. Or or there seems to be, based in the context, some idea that if this guy has a chance to take him out, that he kills him there. That's what's going on here. Murder for hire. This is the disguised attack. This is the someone has plotted in their heart to trip you up. Now, in your life, it could be as simple as a family member who just was watching you. 
they're just watching you. And as soon as you slip up, oh, I got her now. And they take your slip up and they want to tell everybody about it, right? I mean, you could write an encyclopedia of all the things that they've done wrong and you don't throw it in their face. But you slip up this one time. Oh, they're right there like a reporter. (laughs) This is going to be great. Why? Because they're plotting in their heart to harm your reputation. You have to be ready for the disguised attack. They wanted to ruin him through his reputation. If you just stop here and tally up the opponents that Nehemiah has been facing, some of them were commoners, some of them were nobles, some of them were priests, some local governors in the surrounding regions, some military officials, some of the religious prophets, the high priest's grandson, other family members of the chief chief opposition. He had enemies around him every moment of every day in the city. People who were smiling at him one moment were behind his back talking about how amazing his enemies were. Every day in the city and every day in the region surrounding the city, Nehemiah lived in a massive epicenter of complete opposition. You want to know what it feels like to be Nehemiah? Like, combine, you know, like if you were being reported for something and sued for something and audited for something and written up for something and investigated for something all at the same time. Maybe then you know what it feels like to be Nehemiah. And the pressure he was under. And yet, what an amazing role model. He was measured. He was wise. He was prayerful. He was just. He was honest. He was inspirational. He was positive. He was faithful. He was so many things. And just ask yourself, like, what, what's he doing that I'm not? And, uh, and maybe ask yourself, what's he not doing that I am? Because we have such a a stellar example of what it means to take the opposition and grow from it. Here's three questions you can ask yourself if you really feel like, you just feel like you're being thrown down in the mud here. Ask yourself this, am I compromising biblical mandates? This come into the temple and hide out with me would have been compromising the Bible of his day, and he knew it. Am Am I willing, because of my fear, to compromise biblical mandates, crossing those lines, either try and make it go away, or shorten it, or... Second, am I letting fear lead the way? Am I letting fear lead the way? Jesus just flat out would ask his disciples from time to time, and maybe this is a question that he's asking you, where is your faith? Third question, am I listening to shady, ungodly people? Shady, ungodly people. I've been uh, in the ministry now, volunteer, or or on staff, part-time, full-time, for uh, 12 years now. And I've seen a lot of people walk away from the Lord. Without fail, the way that it begins is usually the same. People start shutting down the voices of truth in their life. I'm not meeting with her anymore. I'm not talking with him anymore. I'm not seeing her and I'm going to my friends over here who are going to tell me that what I'm doing is okay and how I reacted is okay and how I'm feeling is okay. And mark it down. If you're doing that, if you're turning away from the voices of biblical solid truth in your life toward the voices of people who are going to tell you what you want to hear, you're going off the edge of the cliff. 
Are you listening to shady, ungodly people who are justifying the fear and sin in your heart? If so, this is a disguised attack. You've got to be ready for the indirect attack and you've got to be ready for the disguised attack. Well, Nehemiah, wow. We don't know how it happened without God's help, but it, it did. God is the one who saw it through. In verse 14, he once again prays one more time, remember Tobiah and Sanballat, Oh my God, according to these things that they did, and also the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul in 52 days. Wow. When all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. And here it is. Your God can rebuild what your sin has destroyed. And as he's rebuilding it, some will come to attack the work and throw it all down. But if you survive attack by faith and you're on your guard, you let the work continue in you and through you, at the end, what God does in your heart will be recognized by those around you. And they'll say, man, God did something in her. Wow, look at what God did through him. And God will be the one who's triumphing in what he's accomplishing. This is hope, and this is also giving the world hope. You see, because now with the walls up and they're going to put the gates in and the exile has cured Israel's idolatry problem, now the world is more ready for Christ to come into it. And God's getting the world ready through Nehemiah for your Savior to arrive into a fully functioning, resettled, re-inhabited Jerusalem. And here, as the Israelites have a new wall, And they've got God's protection around them. And he's settling them. We see that he's getting the world ready to send your Savior. What love and faithfulness we observe in God here. But I think it's important now that as we close this down, that you ask yourself this. In response, where's the opposition coming? Is it direct? Is it indirect? How are you responding? What what that you heard this morning just rang in your ears like, that's for me. Let's take that to the Lord right now in prayer. Father, I'm so grateful that your word is real and explains the world that we live in. It doesn't, doesn't paint a false, shallow picture of the pain this world can cause. And I do think of those here right now, who are facing opposition. And Lord, there are just people who are trying to knock them down off their faith. Thank you for Nehemiah's example of how we're supposed to respond to that. Your work will continue. You give us hope. You give us strength. You're not done with us yet. They won't prevail. You will prevail. But Lord, help us to be on guard. Help us to avoid the people who repeatedly are just working against your purposes in our lives. Help us, Lord, to listen and to hear that advice. We pray that you would help us with patience and yet determination to resist those who are coming after our reputation, coming after our faith, coming after our moral convictions. Um, Give us grace, Lord. Just as Nehemiah said, strengthen our hands. I pray that you would. And Lord, as you fill us with hope, Give us the confidence that you will use us to do astonishing eternal things, making a difference in the world around us. We give you all the praise and the glory. It will be accomplished by your hand. And we pray this in Jesus' name.
Amen.